Hello and thanks for the privilege of your company today here on Search for Truth. Brian Johnston, our Bible teacher, is about to bring us the first talk in a new series about the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, which is in the New Testament of our Bibles. Through these studies in Ephesians, Brian will help us to appreciate a deeper experience of God and so help to build us spiritually into greater Christian maturity. And here's Brian to tell us more. Thanks, John. Welcome and thanks for joining us in our look at the Bible letter to the Ephesians. It's a thrilling letter written by the Apostle Paul. I've often heard it described as a body letter. Those who describe it in that way are saying they consider its main teaching to be about the church, which is Christ's body. In other words, all those who've been born of the Spirit from the time the apostles first preached until the time when Jesus will return to take his church away from this earth and to be with himself forever. But I don't think that's an entirely accurate way of describing this letter to the Ephesians. All that God's doing is shown here in this letter to be to the praise of his glorious grace. And this letter is about God's glory specifically on display in the church and has glimpsed in two places, in heavenly realms and also on earth, where in part it grows and matures over against opposition, taking place in churches of God just like the one at Ephesus. But today there's one word I want to focus on. It's found in the letter Paul wrote to the Colossians as well in his letter to the Ephesians. And it's the word usually translated as fullness. We'll begin with Colossians 1 verse 19 and also with Colossians 2 and verse 9. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. In him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now, an illustration is going to be helpful at this point, I think. I want you to imagine a glass of water and to think of two simple things. On the one hand, it's the water that fills the glass, and on the other, it's the glass that contains the water. Very simple. We'll come back to each of these two ideas when we consider two legitimate meanings of the Bible word fullness. Back then, down in Colossae, a danger lurked nearby for those who professed the Christian faith there. An error, a heresy, was being taught. It was known as Gnosticism. Simply put, it said that God was holy and that matter, the stuff that everything is made of, was evil. And in between were a whole bunch of intermediary beings through which God had created this evil world. In this way, the totality of the Godhead's power and attributes was thought to have been distributed or spread out across all these beings, with each one in sequence away from God being a little less divine than the former. But Paul says a definite no. The sum total of God's powers and attributes, his fullness, to use their buzzword for it, all God's powers and attributes were found in Christ. The fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in him. Jesus was a man with undiminished deity. He was of the full deity possessed. As the water fills the glass, so God's fullness resided in him, the total embodiment of deity. This is important teaching for today, because there are still pseudo-Christian cults who deny the full deity of Christ. 
They're repeating the error of a man called Arius, who lived around 325 AD and taught that God the Son was inferior in nature as compared with God the Father. If the first example of the use of fullness has underscored for us the fact of Christ's full deity, then the second use of the word shows us that Christ's church is Christ's fullness. The Greek lexicon, Thayer, among others, points out that fullness was used in a second sense. In addition to the meaning which we've illustrated by water filling a glass, its other meaning could be illustrated by the glass that contains the water. It's that second or alternative meaning that fits here. In other words, what this is saying is that the church, which is the embodiment of the divine son, is the vehicle or receptacle in which Christ's perfections and powers and presence are put on universal display and showcased to all of creation. Let's pick up something at this point from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 10, where we're told that Christ has ascended in resurrection so that he might fill all things. That just slips off the tongue so easily. But what does it mean? There's something similar at the end of the first chapter, where it tells us about the surpassing greatness of God's power, which is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up and seated him far above all rule and angels and power and dominion and every name that's named in this age and in the next. And then it says that he's put all things in subjection under him and given him as head over all things to the church. And it's then that the church is defined as being the church that's called his body, being the fullness of him who fills all things in every way. So, in what sense does Christ fill all things? The context, you'll agree, is one of authority. The authority of Christ as the one who's been so exalted that all things are under him, that is, under his authority. An authority that's said to be all-pervading, but the church is here described as being his fullness. Putting it all together, is this not saying that Christ fills the church with his very own power and authority, for he's the head of the church, and that he fills the church so that he might fill all things in every way with his authority? We believers, as forming the church, which is the embodiment of the divine Son, have been raised and seated with Christ to share eternal glory with him and so that he might be glorified in us even as we're destined to reign forever. This is consistent, is it not, with the church, namely all believers, being the receptacle which Christ fills in order that he might showcase all of God's glory to every created thing in the exercise of his authority. And now lastly, I want to come to Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 16 to 19 concerning what was to be the God-filled lives of the disciples found then in the local church of God at Ephesus. Paul prayed for them like this, that God would grant you, he says, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Before we were saved by God's grace, 
we became aware of a God-shaped hole within us. But what is our life now full of? Does God indeed fill our lives as the water fills a glass? The Apostle Paul prayed for his friends here that it truly would. He asked God that they might each be strengthened with power through God's Spirit in their innermost being with the end in view that Christ might reside in their hearts through faith. But hold on a moment. Isn't this already true of all genuine believers? Romans 8 and verse 9 says, The Spirit of Christ is in all those who belong to Jesus. True enough, but this is an additional and conditional sense of Christ's indwelling of us, which we find in Ephesians chapter 3. The word meaning to dwell here has a prefix attached to it, and it gives the fuller sense of someone really settling down and feeling at home. Perhaps we could illustrate the difference like this. Picture a couple who buy a house where others have previously been living. They're thrilled with their purchase, and for a while, as they build up their finances again, they put up with the horrid black and silver wallpaper in the lounge, the gurgles of the central heating which are traceable to a leaking heat exchanger in the boiler. Then there are the windows, which at times are hard to see through because the sealed double-glazed units are no longer actually sealed. And oh, did we mention that the carpets all smell of dog, the dog of the previous owner? Gradually, little by little, however, the couple managed to attend to all these issues until one day, as they're sitting down over dinner, they comment with a glow of satisfaction that it now really feels like home. It now reflects their own personality. It was their house before, but the difference is it now feels like a real home to them. Their home. Do you get the picture? The challenge? The Lord owns us from the day that we are saved. But is he enjoying us? Is he comfortably at home in our lives with our various attitudes and interests and pursuits? But Paul's prayer for those in the Church of God at Ephesus continues. He wants this to be their experience so that they might come to experience in greater measure how wide, how long, how high and how deep is Christ's love for us. Paul's prayer desire for them is that they should have a greater awareness of Christ's love. And this is not just some kind of intellectual thing. It's something to be experienced, a greater sense of God and of his love for us, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And even this is not to be an end in itself, but that it might result in us being filled to all the fullness of God. We're talking about maturity here, as a comparison with the language of chapter 4 would show. Maybe I can illustrate this too, how a greater enjoyment of Christ's love is necessary to build maturity into Christian lives. I heard of a couple who were in the habit of fostering newborn children. Once they were asked to take on a pair of 18-month-old twins as a stopgap measure, just for six weeks. But they agreed to do that. Later they shared about the time when they first put them to bed. There was no noise, but they went back to check on them anyway. They were shocked to find the children awake, crying, the pillows wet with tears, but yet they were making no sound. They discovered that they'd been in eight previous homes where they'd been beaten for crying. They were declared to be irremediably emotionally retarded. But after two years in this loving foster home, 
the twins were tested again and found to be within the normal range of emotional and intellectual capability. That's what an awareness of being loved does. And that's why Paul wanted the Ephesians to mature by fully experiencing Christ's love. enjoyed Brian's talk. Now if you'd like to send for the booklet, which is the transcript of this whole series of talks, let us have your postal address and ask for the title Experiencing God in Ephesians. There are also back issues of other titles which you might like to download via the internet or order through Amazon. I'll tell you how to do this in a moment, but first here's our postal and our email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester LE5 6LN UK. And now here's our email address sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, as I've said, you can also download audio, that's MP3 versions of some past programmes on your computer. You go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. Now, this is our church website where you can also access helpful material. Um, Some titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find a growing list of transcript books from previous programmes there. It's been great to have you with us today. We've enjoyed your company and we really appreciate your interest in these programmes. And Brian continues this series of talks next week, God willing. So please join us if you can. But uh, until then, it's very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our studio technician, David, our singers and me, John. So goodbye and may God richly bless you. Oh no.